Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read some verses. So you've got to have your text available today. If you're using a Red Pew Bible in front of you, it's page 811. We're doing a series, if you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, and we are at the first six verses of chapter 6. We've done chapter 5, moving on to chapter 6. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and then verses 16 and 17. And the reason why there's a little split there, as I'll tell you why, there's a pattern. The first chapter, we've, let me review, because we haven't done this in a couple weeks, um, is about what kingdom righteousness is. Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, if you don't have a righteousness that exceeds the scribe and Pharisees, then you'll never enter the kingdom. In other words, you can't have a merely external righteousness. It has to go and be an internal righteousness. Kingdom righteousness is one that comes from the inside out, not just on the outside. This passage that we're going to read makes a big deal out of that because... It's going to talk about doing things only to be seen of men. In other words, to appear to have righteousness, but intrinsically not so much. And so we're going to concentrate on that. And remember, this is a passage, and this whole three, three chapters are about what you really are on the inside. Okay? So again, all these passages are supposed to get to your heart and make you think about what you really like. So we're going to try to accomplish that a little bit more today. Before we go a little further, let me show you the pattern in them. As I read them, Matthew 6, 1. Beware of, see, practicing your righteousness. Now he's talked about what righteousness is, chapter 5. And now he's going to give three examples of what they would call everyday practical living. Acts of piety, and these would all be true today too. And the first one is verses 2 through 4, and that's giving to the poor. And then verses uh, 5 and 6 are praying. And then 16 and 17 are fasting. So giving, praying, fasting, those are the three examples he's going to give. And in each one of these examples, there's a pattern that he follows. And it's very close to being the same in each one. Let me point it out to you. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Here's the problem. In order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Our main thing today is going to be talking about rewards. What does it mean to be a hypocrite and not get a reward? What does it mean? What is Jesus saying? What's at stake in all of this? So the first pattern is verses 2 through 4. See, Jesus expects his disciples to be doing these three things. So we can start there with an application, right? He expects you to be giving to the poor. He expects you to be praying. He expects you to be fasting. And then he keys that off with, circle it in your Bible if you have a pen. See the word when? He didn't say if you do these things. He's going to tell you when you do these three acts of piety, this is what you should do and what you should not do. Okay? So verse 2 says when. See verse 5? It says and when you pray. See verse 16? And when you fast. So first of all, let's go to the basics. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you should be, here's, here's as basic as it gets. You should be giving to the poor, people who are more needy than yourself. You should be praying, and at times you should be fasting. 
Okay? So then he's going to tell you in this pattern what you should not do. And then he's going to give you an alternative in what you should do if you are a disciple of Jesus. As you can see it, let me give you the first example. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. In other words, hey, don't make some grand announcement. Don't draw attention to yourself. Oh, look at me. <laughs> right? I'm giving to the poor at Mosaic or downtown or in general. In other words, don't call attention to yourself. Now, key phrase in all three of them, I'm going to say it this morning. Four times Jesus talks about hypocrites in the Sermon on the Mount. Three of them are one in each of these sections. <clears throat> so that's a big deal. Before, as the hypocrites do, okay? Hypocrites do it in the synagogues, in the streets. In other words, when they give to people, they do it in such a way that they do it publicly and they want everybody to know about it because they want to prove to you how spiritual they are. All right? Jesus says in his little formulaic way, truly I say to you, different versions have different things, assuredly I say to you, verily, verily, if you have King James, but it's all, it's, it's a statement Jesus uses 20 sometimes in this gospel, and every time he says it, it's, it's to get your attention, because he wants to say something important, he doesn't want you to miss it. Now notice it says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Okay? Now, the rest of the time, now that I got the structure on for you, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read these texts, all right, in Matthew, and there's a number of them. So it's going to take a few minutes. Your job while I'm reading them is to make comparisons and contrasts in your mind, and draw together insights from the various verses and how Jesus talks about rewards, okay? So if you need a piece of paper, write it down, fine, in your mind. If you can keep it all there, it's great. But try to tell me what is your understanding about what a reward is, who gets it and who does it, and what does that mean, okay? So that was the first verse, and I'm going to keep reading. Truly I say to you, these hypocrites who do it in the synagogue streets for everyone to see them, see, they have received their reward. But when you give, see the alternative? But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, don't make a big deal out of it. Privately, secretly, you don't have to have tension, okay? So that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret, see, here, ready, will reward you. All right? Next section. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, sound familiar? They have received their reward. Jesus says at the end, and your father who sees in secret, will reward you. All right? Verse number 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they dis disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, 
Third time in a row. They have received their reward. But you, alternative, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, third time in a row, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. See the difference, the contrast? Okay, there are a couple other times in Matthew that the word reward is used. Let me show them to you just back a little bit. Chapter 5 and verse 12. Rejoice and be glad in what? That you were persecuted, that you suffer. For your reward is great in heaven. Mega is the word. So there is not just a reward, it's a great reward. So for so they persecuted the prophets before you. Chapter 5 and verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? See that? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? See the comparison again? Tax collectors. Tax collectors love other tax collectors. So if you love other people who are just like you, are you any different than a tax collector? That probably didn't go over very well to be compared to a tax collector when you thought you were exceedingly righteous. But that's what he says. So if you only love people who are like you and like you and love you back, (laughs) Jesus says, guess what? You're not getting any rewards for that. Right? And then lastly, in, in Matthew's gospel anyways, Chapter 10, verses 41 and 42. Whoever receives you receives me. Verse 40. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. There it is again. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he's a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, child, even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, strongest language you can use in the original, he will by no means, and any time in the English text you see by no means, it, it should be never ever is the idea we'd say. It's a double negative. He will never ever lose his reward. All right? Those are the verses about rewards in Matthew. So we want to figure out when Jesus says, if you do it the hypocritical way, you're not going to get a reward. But if you do it the way of my disciple, you will. What does that mean? So what did you think? As you read those verses in Matthew's Gospel, and we would call this getting a theology of reward in Matthew's Gospel, what do you think? What did you come up with? What did you see? Yes, Lynn. Okay? Glory should go to God and not to us. You're trying to not be seen by people, right? Right? You're trying to be seen by God, all right? So the whole point of doing these things is that you want to glorify God. How does that relate to the reward, right? Go ahead. Let's say, you know, our pride and arrogance, God does not reward that. 
Okay, God doesn't reward pride and arrogance. He certainly is not going to reward. If you do things to be seen as people, you're not going to get the reward. Okay, I'm going to clarify real quickly. There are two types of hypocrites in Jesus' teaching. Okay, the way we would normally say a hypocrite is, is someone who says one thing but does something different. All right? If I say to you, um, don't cheat on tests, but I cheat on my test, <laughs> right? That's what we normally say. Someone who says one thing, but you see him do something different, that's a hypocrite. That's true, and Jesus uses that later on in this book. But mainly, Jesus' view of hypocrisy is not doing the wrong thing. In the passage, who's the hypocrite? Someone who does something wrong? No. Who's the hypocrite? The person who's doing all the right things. That's why you got to talk about this at church. Because for Jesus, the hypocrite is not the immoral person or the pe- person in the, in the, on the sly and hidden times doing all the bad stuff and nobody just knows about it. No, the hypocrite was the guy you, or the lady you look at and say, wow, they are great. They come to all the services. They serve in a ministry. Wow, they might be a leader. They might, you know, Jesus says they're people who fast, give, and pray. Because it says the hypocrites are doing all those things. But they're not doing them the right way. That's the issue. That's the hypocrisy of it. The hypocrisy is doing all the right things, but not having the right attitude. That's the problem. And the attitude that they're struggling with is they're doing all the right things for the wrong motivations. You know what the motivation is? Look at me. Lynn said, instead, the motivation should be look at God. You don't have to give me any attention. I don't have to have any special treatment. You don't have to do me any favors. You don't even have to mention my name. That's what it should be, but that's not what hypocrites do. They get upset, right, because they have an agenda. They, you know, they want to be noticed. They want to be treated a certain way. So you've got to do stuff for them while they're doing stuff for God because that's their motivation. It's me, right? Now, they wouldn't want to say that, but it happens. So the difference is what? The contrast in reward and who gets one and who doesn't is between someone who's got only the outside versus someone who's got the inside and the outside. That's the difference in hypocrisy. What else did you notice about reward? Yes. Very good. That is a crucial one. And that's going to tell you what the reward is. So there's a difference. In the passage, you can get a temporary reward that comes in the present, or you can get a permanent one that comes in the future, right? And you kind of have to make your choice. Jesus says, if you do things and you do them for the wrong motivation, because you want people to see how spiritual you are, look at you a certain way, have this perspective of you, and your motivation is, look at me, he said, hope you enjoy it, because that's all you're getting. <laughs> you're not getting a reward. Your reward will be what you get in the moment, but that's it. But Jesus says, unlike the hypocrite, if you're really a disciple of Jesus, you'll be doing it for him. So even though you don't get rewarded by people, now you will be rewarded by God later. So that's 
the motivation. That's the big difference, and that's a key point in the passage. That's why it says multiple times, and they have received their reward. They've already got it. Right? If you get it now, you won't get it later. That's what Jesus says. Eddie? That's right. We, we own nothing. It's all God's. Right. Amen. Amen. That's right. Amen. How many recall the story or the, actually the, the words Jesus tells in Luke 14? He tells people how to throw a party. Do you remember this? In Luke 14, Jesus says, and when you, and obviously he didn't say throw a party. I'm modernizing it. When you throw a party, what did he say? Who do you invite? Oh, yes. He goes, don't invite all the rich and all your friends, and all the people. Why? Why? Because if you have a party and invite all of them, what are you doing? What's the motivation? He says in the text. Because they're going to do what? Yeah, they're going to reciprocate. So you throw this lavish party, and you throw all the people who come and are rich, guess what? They're going to feel like they need to... No, they're going to throw a party and have all that stuff and invite you to it. So this is this mutual admiration society, right? But Jesus says, let me give you an alternative. When you throw a party, throw it for people who can't give you anything back. For the poor and the blind and the lame. He says, throw it for them. You know why? Because you will be what? Yeah, you'll be rewarded at the resurrection of the just. In other words, do you have the ability to postpone your gratification? Can you put it off? Can you just say, hey... No one has to notice me. No one has to give me any kudos. I don't have to be patted on the back. I don't have to be told how great I am. I don't have to be given an award. Because you know what? I'll get that down the road. Down the road. But Jesus says, hey, that's a big deal because that shows you who and what you're doing it for. What else did you see about rewards as we read those verses in Matthew? Greg. Yes, right? So it's a reversal, isn't it? You do it in public, you get nothing in secret. If you do it in secret, you will get it publicly, right? So again, it's the same principle, just worded differently. Now, <clears throat> pretend you don't hear all these things because I have to say some of these things in the morning service too. But Romans 2, would you turn there? And I'm going to have you do this because I want you to understand what Jesus means because Greg's right. He wants you to do things in the key phrase that's used six times, two times in every example. Whether it's giving, praying, or fasting, he says it twice. And your father, who is in secret and sees in secret. Well, what does in secret mean? In other words, is this a text that says, don't ever pay in pu- pray in public, don't ever give any money in public, and don't ever f- let anybody know you're fasting? 
Because all public things are bad. No, it's not, this is not saying only do it in secret. What does in secret mean? Romans 2, 29. Let me read 28 and 29. Paul's talking about what it means to be, right, a, a Jewish person now that the new covenant is here. So if you were a Jewish person before, you were marked off by being circumcised if you're a guy and that your Jewish background and heritage and all the things on the outside, that was what delineated whether you were Jewish. But now that Jesus has come, the true Jew, what does it mean to be Jewish? Verse 28, for no one is a Jew, ready, who is one, who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. In other words, it means more now to be a true Jew if you want the truest sense of it. You can't just be circumcised or be a Jew on the outside. What is he going to tell you? But a Jew is one, what? Inwardly. Not just circumcised flesh outside, but a circumcised heart inside. And I point that out to you. You know why? Because the word inwardly is the same word in secret. When Jesus says, and your father sees in secret, and here's what Paul says, a Jew inwardly, Put them together. What does it mean? Ready? Here's what God says. God says, I see what's going on inside of you. I see it. And what I see when I look inside of you will determine if you get a reward. So the admonition is what? Don't be fooled. You can come to church and you can play the game. And everybody can think certain things of you because of how you act. And the only, you know why? Because they see you for an hour or so at a time. Right? But God says, listen, if that's what you do, you have your reward. And you're a hypocrite, he says. He says, but let me tell you this. I see on the inside. I see what you're really like and who you really are. And God says, when I see who you really are, if you're really one of my disciples, <coughs> and your inside is different, not just your outside, he says, then you're going to get the reward. So let's go back to our text in Matthew and plug that in. <coughs> Can I tell you, as a passing thought, extra bonus, free of charge, that's how you study the Bible. You got to do a word study and find out how the Bible uses that all the time. So I took the phrase in secret, found out what the original word is, and looked at all the times it's used. Because I wanted to know what he meant in secret. Meaning hiding out. Because when I think of the American view of in secret, what does secret mean? Secret means I'm trying to keep a secret from you. I have a secret hiding place. Right? A secret stash. Or what? Secret means, ooh, something's bad and I'm trying to hold on to it. No, but the word just means inward, on the inside. Right? So Jesus says, here's what true disciples are. They're not hypocrites. Why? Because what you see on the outside comes from what they are on the inside. And eventually you'll find out that hypocrites don't have that inside. What else do you notice about the text when it comes to reward? Oh, sure. What do you see? Let me ask you, how many times in all of those texts 
Thank you. See, if I tell you why my throat isn't doing well, then I might be doing it for the motivation that you'd feel sorry for me. But now I've got to drink a water, so I have to explain it. This is the, have you, how many have had this? I've had this thing for four weeks now. I can't shake it. It's just all in your throat. Go, everybody go, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor. Okay, good, thank you. All right, we're done with that. Um, how many times in all the verses we read is the word reward ever in the plural? How many? Do you ever see the word rewards? How many times? Zero. Let me, I'll give you another example. The word reward in the New Testament is in the plural, the whole New Testament. How many times do you think it's in the plural in the whole New Testament? Zero. Every single time this word is used, this word is used in the singular. Because there is one reward, right? And the reward is heaven. So let me make a statement to you. And I say that to you because, and I'm going to make this statement stronger in my message this morning, right? What is at stake in hypocrisy? Jesus says, and I'm going to read them because I wrote them all down, okay? Here's the reward statements. Your reward is great. What reward do you have? You will have no reward. Is that, is that a bad thing? I used to think that no reward meant, well, I'm going to get to heaven, but I'll be in the slums. <laughs> My sisters joke around with me all the time because I'm a pastor. You know, remember me when you're up in the, you know, the, the, the highlight in the, in the mansions and why we're down here. You know, that's what they joke about all the time to me, right? And I said, number one, that is not good theology. Stop that. And number two, don't worry. Everybody's got a role to play. But I'm saying, like, here's what Jesus says. You will have no reward. So to not get a reward from God, how serious is that? Well, let me, let me flip it over for you. Because at the end of it says, remember, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, in other words, if you demonstrate that you are my disciple, even the smallest thing when it comes to judgment day, and you stand before God, he will not forget it. He's going to say, remember that cup of cold water because you have a heart of love and compassion and you gave it to that person that was in need? He said, you will never, see how strong he is? You will never lose your word. I will not forget even the smallest little thing that you do for me, for others. So you flip them over. You get no reward if you're a hypocrite or a, a pagan, in the words of Gentile. Or you will, not, you will get a reward because God will remember every little thing that you did for him. Jesus says, remember? <clears throat> Matthew 25. He says, on the day of judgment, there'll be two groups. Sheep, goats. And they will be separated from one. And, and, the, and the consequences are, these will go into everlasting life. And these will go into everlasting punishment. And it's described as where the devil and his angels are. Fire. Okay, so you, these are diametrically opposed conclusions. 
Now, you would think, wouldn't you, in a passage that's talking like that, that Jesus would say, and because they believed in this, and they believed in this, and they held this whole conviction, and they didn't say anything about that. They went to church, they did this, they did, it doesn't say any of that. You know what he says? On that day, one of the main re- things he's going to do when he looks at your life, he's going to say, here's the difference between a sheep and a goat. And we would say today, here's the difference between a disciple and a hypocrite. Ready? Jesus says, sheep saw me, and I had a need, and they met it. They gave me food when I was hungry. They gave me clothes when I was naked. And when I had no place to live, they took me in. And when I was in jail, they visited me. And they say, ah, Jesus, when did we see you like that? And when he says, and when you did it unto one of the least of these, my brethren... You did it to me. On the road of Damascus, Jesus stops Saul with a blinding light, knocks him off the animal he's on, and says this statement to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? No. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know why? Jesus sees his people, the church, and himself as the same. So on Judgment Day, Jesus says, see, when you did it to these other people in your congregation, the least of these, my brethren, see, you were doing that to me. But if you were a hypocrite and you said you loved me and cared about me and came to church and you saw people that were hungry and you did not feed them, And you saw them that they needed clothes and you did nothing to help them out. And when they were in jail, you didn't visit them and you didn't welcome them into your your home. Here's what he says. Depart from me, he says, into everlasting torment prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Is that a good work salvation? Do I gotta do things for people? No, he's saying here's the identity marker, ready? Jesus says here's what identifies a disciple and here's what identifies a hypocrite is that on the inside is really where things are, and they come out on the outside. Not just the outside without an inside. This sermon on the mount is concluded with some really harsh terms. And Jesus gives a story, and I'm going to quote it for you, because I had termed this passage to be the scariest in the Bible. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven But he who does the will of my Father, listen to this, for many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done all these wonderful works? And he will say to them, depart from me, workers of lawlessness, for I never knew you. Are you kidding me? Did we do miracles in your name? Did we cast out demons in your name? And did we do all these mighty works, it says? And he will say, you had all that outside stuff to the extent of this, way out here. And he says, I don't know you. I don't know you. How is that possible? Because they didn't have anything on the inside. And they had nothing on the inside. It was all about them and their kingdom and their glory. So what about the reward? The contrast in the passage, and I'll close with this, is between true disciples of Jesus and what's the term? Hypocrites. 
He also says, look at your text, chapter 6 and verse 7. What's the contrast between? And when you pray, don't heap up phrases as who? The Gentiles do. We'd say pagan. It sounds like an awful word, but pagan just meant you didn't live in the city back in the day and became for people who never went to church or loved God or do any of those things. But Gentiles were people who were not Jewish, who didn't know God, the God of the Bible, didn't care about them, had nothing wanted. See, here's what he says. Don't act like a hypocrite and don't act like a pagan who doesn't even know God. Right? He goes, because <coughs> you can do all these external things, but on the inside, you'll be like, just like them. And guess what? You will get what they get. <laughs> In the text, it is not a contrast. Hear me. It is not a contrast between two types of Christians. So if you get a reward or you don't get a reward, it's not because you're a better Christian or a lesser Christian. This is not a contrast in the Sermon on the Mount between a really good Christian and a not very good Christian. That's not the text. What does it say? What's the contrast? Between someone who says they are but really aren't. They're hypocrites. They're like Gentiles. They're people who really don't know him. That's why he says getting a reward matters. Because the reward is heaven. It's eternal life. And we'll get to it later. And this is certainly not the only time Jesus mentions it because it's all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, in fact, the New Testament. So here's the thing. Rewards. Not in the plural, in the singular. There is one reward. And how do you know you're going to have it? Not because you work for it because God has done something in you, ready, in you, that will come out of you. That's the difference. And Jesus says, don't be someone who's a hypocrite, this kind of hypocrite, who does all the things they should do on the outside and is nothing on the inside. I have permission by my son. You know my, my son, Lance. Um... He grew up in this church all of his life. Um, he was only a few years old when he came here. Um, and Lance did all the things you're supposed to do. My son went to the Christian school. And my son went to the youth group. And my son even went to a Bible college. Actually, two of them. <laughs> he didn't get saved until he was 21. After a lot of years of defiance. And I'll leave it at that. Why? He knew the gospel inside and out. Came to church all the time. Later years because I made him. By the way, a little commercial on parenting. Your kids don't know how to make decisions on their own. So it doesn't matter what they want. When your kid is 16, they're not ready to make decisions. I told my kids, you can make all your decisions when you can make all your decisions. You know what that means? So if you can support yourself and pay for all those things, then you can make them all. And when you're ready to do that, then you make them all. Right? So I tell my kids, I said, you're 16. It doesn't matter whether you want to come to church or not. You live in my house, and last time I checked, I paid the bills. And I'm still your dad. And I don't say that arrogantly or even necessarily heavy-handed, but if I have to, I will be. Right? Because this house stands for something, and I won't let you infect everyone else who lives here, right? But that being the case, it didn't stop him from being ungodly. 
But it wasn't the environment, right? Because he came to church and we practiced our Christianity at home. What was the problem? Oh, it was a heart issue. You know why? Because he was a hypocrite. He wanted to appear to be something, and he wasn't. He wasn't. I say that illustration not to belittle my son, but to tell you that it can happen to anyone. Anyone. And it doesn't have to be a teenager. It happens to adults. I told you about the deacon who was on my board when I was a youth pastor who came forward at the end of a service. I thought he was coming forward to get help, to help other people who were coming forward. He, me being in my 20s, he being in his 40s. So when he came down the aisle, I thought he was just going to walk over and stand there and wait to help. But he whispered in my ear, one of our deacons, I'm not really sure I'm a Christian. I tell that story often because it always wrecks me. Because I looked at him and said, you, you do all the Christian things. Are you serious? You come to church. You're a leader in our church. You're a deacon. And then he asked me to go talk to him about it. I go, what am I going to possibly tell you that you don't know? He got saved that day, or so he says. You know, ever since then, and then in my own son, I think of this. There are a lot of people in church, God forbid, hypocrites. And I don't mean you say one thing and do another. It's only skin deep. And if that's true, it is time. And I've said this to the youth group, and I say to you as parents, my son Lance, for the course of two years, asked me, do you think I'm saved? And I said to him every time, no way. And he didn't buy it off of me for the first two years, because who wants to think that? I said, you're not. He goes, why? Because you don't live it. You don't live it. And in that two years, a little bit more than that, maybe three years, he came to the conclusion, you're right. You're right. And he got saved and baptized. And the difference today, amazing by God's grace. See, that's what you, don't, you can't do for your children. Don't treat them as if they're Christians when they have no desire on the inside for God and the things of God. Not the trappings, not saying the right words, not having a spiritual... Don't fool yourself and don't you be fooled. Don't be fooled about yourself. Look at your life. Am I a disciple? Am I a hypocrite? Because everything's at stake. Everything. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, help us. It's not easy to take that kind of an honest evaluation of where we really are in our relationship with you where we might be, where our children might be, those who are closest to us. It's not an easy conclusion to come to. But heaven and hell are at stake, and we can't be deceived. Help us. Help us to walk in truth. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. Father, there might be here this morning in this class and in the service to follow and throughout the day, there may be people who have been here for years who really just don't know you, and that's the problem. Their kids don't know you. I pray, Father, that you would so, by your Holy Spirit, work in their hearts to bring them to a proper biblical understanding of where they stand with you, that the reward someday in eternity might truly be theirs. God, we are all sinners. 
not worthy of the least of your grace and favor, but in Jesus Christ you have made us worthy, and we are forever grateful. God, use us. Thank you for the wonderful mercy you have lavished on us. As the Blessed Assurance hymn says, let us be lost in that love today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. 